worship him this hour. We honor and exalt him. We kneel to him in prayer. Our words are but a silence unless we do as he desires. For to whom much has been given, much more shall be Last congregational we sang, the old rugged cross kind of got me thinking um, about more application to my message today, broader than what I had originally intended. Um, so if you would please turn to Philippians, we'll turn to Philippians chapter 2, that's not where I'm going to actually be preaching from today, 
but as we sang that, I, I think it'll it'll lead into it a little bit. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, as was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And... Uh, Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, was thought it not robber to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant. And um, the title of my message today is Absolute Surrender. Can you think of any better picture of surrender than the Lord Jesus Christ when he submitted himself to the Father, came down to this earth, the passage we're actually um, going to look at this morning is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So that's my text. That, that first part was extra, kind of more in conjunction with the old rugged cross. It's a good example to look at as we look at Romans chapter 12. We'll read the first two verses here for now. I beseech you therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray as we're getting started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can spend in your house. I pray that you would. Open our ears, open our hearts to your word. Help us to apply these truths to our lives and to leave this building changed. For your honor and glory, in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to take a look at absolute surrender. And uh, I guess it was a couple years ago, we were out with some friends, and uh, one of them said, you know, Oftentimes, surrender gets kind of put off in a separate category from, you talk about salvation and sanctification, living a, the life that glorifies Christ. And surrender seems to be one of those things that's kind of off to the side. And you know what? If you surrender to God, you know, surrender to be a pastor, surrender to be this or that. And um, the more I look at surrender, surrender is the practical demonstration of living a sanctified life. Living a life that pleases God. And uh, it is our responsibility as believers to be living a surrendered life because Jesus Christ died for our sins and he saved us. And then he called us to be sanctified. And that sanctification is borne out through our surrendered life. And... Um, First of all, I see the urgency of the call. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Beseech there. It's an important word. It says, come on over here and take a look at this. Um, there was importance there and there was involvement through the mercies of God. We see that through, up to the, through the whole book of Romans so far, 
chapters 1 through 11, Paul was already building his case for chapter 12. And uh, we see, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And uh, a corny little phrase that um, some people like to say is, when you see a therefore, you've got to look to see what it's there for. Right? So, I'm actually going to go back and take a look at the underlying cause for this appeal. We're going to take a look at a few, a few examples here. In the previous 11 chapters, obviously we won't go through the whole book. We'll be here all day. Um, therefore, starting at chapter 1, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll, we'll, we'll be flipping through. Most of the book this morning. I see, first of all, the righteousness that's imparted to man. And uh, you'll see this word righteousness throughout these points. And uh, Romans chapter 1, we'll take a look at verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we see that. The gospel of Christ, it is the power of God unto salvation, who to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And uh, along those same lines in, in uh, Romans 3, chapter, or chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them, that believe, for there is no difference. We see, secondly, that the righteousness was rejected by some. Back to chapter 1, we'll take a look at verse 20. Actually, back up to verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him are clear from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. We also see in... in uh, Verses 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. The righteousness was rejected by some. We see next, skip over a couple Chapters at this point go up to chapter 4. We'll see along the same lines of righteousness, righteousness granted by faith. The method of salvation by faith. Where he's talking about Abraham here. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, 
and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We see that through Christ's righteousness, we can be saved. And it's demonstrating that through Abraham, because Abraham believed God. Even way back then, he, and if you think of when, Isaac, when he offered Isaac on the altar, that was a picture of Christ offering his only son. And um, so we see here that the righteousness is granted by faith. We see it in chapter 5. We see that righteousness is explained through justification. Justification is, is being declared righteous and being treated as such. We see in verse, uh, verses 7 through 10 in chapter 5. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended his, commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And, uh, you know, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross really did mean something. And uh, we are now justified. We see in, in uh, verses 19, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We see that the righteousness here in chapter 6, righteousness is exercised by choice. Chapter 6, if we start in verse number 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You know, God has done, already done His part. We can't choose to remain in sin. And um, in verse number 12, we see, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye, ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. You know, literally, when he says, let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body, quite literally, it means there, stop letting sin. You're currently letting sin reign in your mortal bodies, but stop letting sin. And uh, kind of like a leaky faucet. What do you have to do to take care of a leaky faucet? You can call the plumber, but ultimately, you've got to stop the water from coming up through, you've got to turn off the water 
fix it, and then you can turn the water back on. You got to fix the problem. That problem of sin and allowing it to work through us, I guess you would say, allowing sin to be the master in our lives, so to speak. But God has given us the power to reject that. We see the righteousness fulfilled in us. Um, Romans 8, we're memorizing, we'll see verses 4 through 8, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. If we're walking in the Spirit, if we're walking in the Spirit, God can use us. We see next in uh, Romans 10, um, I know I'm throwing quite a few different things at you, I just want to get you get an overall perspective of all the little topics that are between chapters 1 and 11. We see in chapter 10, we see the righteousness was declined by the Jews. Verses 1 through 3, where Paul writes, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. We see that the Jews, they declined Christ's righteousness. They didn't want Jesus Christ because they thought he was going to be the conquering king when he came. They didn't realize who he was. And so therefore they were trying to, I guess, earn their way, still earn their way to heaven by the works of the law. We see that in chapter 9, verse 32, um, or 31. It says, But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. And they tried to go by their own righteousness, as I just mentioned in verse 3 of chapter 10. Because they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. And we see because of that, because the Jews rejected Christ's righteousness, the righteousness was then available for the Gentiles in chapter 11. And we see that in verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. And in verse 30, for as ye in times past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. You know, we've obtained mercy and the ability to come to the knowledge of Christ because of the Jews' re rejection of Christ. 
And uh, the amazing thing is, do you think Christ didn't know that when he went to the cross? It's an interesting thought. And uh, that other famous saying, is, Have you, has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? You know, Jesus Christ knew ahead of time that he was going to come to earth, that his own people were, were going to reject him, and he came anyway. And um, so that we could be saved. And then we get to Romans 12. So first of all, we see the urgency of the call. Secondly, we looked at the underlying cause for the appeal. Thirdly, we'll take a look at the understanding of the challenge. And this is a challenge here to us, isn't it? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Who's he talking to? He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's talking to brothers in Christ. If you've already been saved. Um, obviously, if you're not saved, then you don't have the capacity to fulfill these, these expectations. Now, the recipients are the brethren. The request here is to present their bodies a living sacrifice. And that's where where I get the word absolute surrender from. Uh, originally, when I had written a message, I had titled it Reasonable Surrender. And then I realized, you know, he's talking about reasonable service, not reasonable surrender. He's talking about absolute surrender. He wants all of us. I mean, when you give a sacrifice, if, if, well, yeah, when the Jew, Jews gave their sacrifices, did they get any of that back? It was gone. All of it. In the same way, God wants us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, he wants all of us. He wants all of me. He wants all of you. The requirements are to be a sacrifice. He wants us to be a living sacrifice. And he wants us to be holy and acceptable unto God. If you think back in the time of the children of Israel, when the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies once a year, he had to be acceptable to God. Otherwise, he would die, right? Through Christ's righteousness, we have the ability to be acceptable to God. And the reason... The reason here at the end of verse number one is, which is your reasonable service? And that word reasonable literally means your logical service. It just makes sense. It makes sense that since Jesus Christ died for you, he saved you, he wants you to be living a holy life, sanctified, then he wants your surrender. He wants you to give your life give your body a living sacrifice to God. That's just reasonable because he's already done everything for you. 
And um, so third, or thirdly, we saw the understanding of the challenge. And fourthly, the unwavering commitment. We see this in, in verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The unwavering commitment here, we see first of all the problem. There's a problem here. And be not conformed to this world. Just like earlier in uh, chapter 6, he's telling us here to stop conforming to the world. People talk about, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, keeping up with people around us, keep, keeping up with the rest of the world. Um, some people may have not wanted to conform to the smartphone era. Some people still had flip phones. Think of my parents and you know, probably a few other people. They didn't want to conform, I guess you'd call it conform. They didn't see a need for smartphones. And now a few years later, even my mother-in-law has a smartphone. Um, but here in a spiritual sense, Paul is telling us here, and be not conformed to this world. But... Be ye transformed. But be ye transformed. And that's a that's a passive verb there, which basically allow yourself to be transformed. You know, if you if you think about railroad tracks, they don't get any credit, do they? Railroad tracks. Trains run right over them all day long. But you never hear about the railroad tracks until there's something wrong with them, right? In that same way, God wants to use us for his glory. And we need to allow God to work through us by being transformed. You know, that word transformed is the same word that's used in Christ's transfiguration. He was transformed. He, he looked completely different. And um, so we see, first of all, the, the problem. We see this, this passive element. You know, al allow God to transform you. Thirdly, I see here the power. Where, where do we see the power in this verse for this? It's by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? By reading the Word of God. That's the number one thing right there. Renewing your mind literally change your way of thinking. That's the power. We see the proving. What are we trying to prove here? That you may prove... And go to the last three words of that verse, will of God. We're trying to prove the will of God in this and through this. If you want to know the will of God, you know, a lot of people talk about the will of God in a lot of different ways. Really, the will of God is for you to obey Him, to live for Him. And if you're a 
being transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will know what the will of God is. You know, the, there was one quote that said, the will of God is not distant, it's daily. Um, if you do what God wants you to do today, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. And lastly, we see the progression. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Those are three different words. They're very similar, but they show a progression. Good, morally whole, acceptable, well-pleasing, and perfect, mature or fully grown. I guess my question to you today is, what stage are you at? Are you at that stage where you have surrendered to God? Absolutely. Have you rejected Him? Like the Jews did? Like many others did? Have? Are you counting on your own works to get you to heaven? My challenge to you today is to stop. Stop conforming to the world and be transformed. Either through salvation, if you haven't been saved yet, through sanctification or surrender, surrendering your will to God's and allowing Him to work in your life. As a closing illustration, Think about the alternative if you don't surrender. I would just about liken it to the Potsdam Declaration. If you don't know what that is, I'm just going to read it here. World War II. We call upon the government of Japan to proclaim now the unconditional surrender of all the Japanese armed forces and to provide proper and adequate assurance of their good faith in such action. The alternative for Japan is prompt and utter destruction. And uh, this declaration was debated vigorously. In the Japanese government. And uh, they declined. And they kind of ignored the Allied Declaration. And uh, the people of Hiroshima tragically learned otherwise. And uh, because of the complete disruption of communications after that atomic, atomic attack, the initial reports of the damage were meager and fragmentary. You know, people, they didn't realize the extent of the damage in that first bomb. And... Uh, President Truman issued the following statement. It was to spare the Japanese people from utter destruction that the ultimatum of July 26 was issued at Potsdam. Their leaders promptly rejected that ultimatum. If they do not now accept our terms, they may expect a reign of ruin from the air 
the likes of which has never been seen on this earth. And uh, unfortunately, they delayed longer. And so they, nothing, when nothing was definitive was heard from the Japanese, plans proceeded to drop the second bomb. And um, I think it was that they, the Allies dropped pamphlets over 11 cities, if I'm not mistaken. Dropped pamphlets that said, get out of there, because you're going to see destruction like you've never seen before. Why? Because they didn't surrender. After that second bomb, the Japanese emperor said, I cannot bear to see my innocent people suffer any longer. Ending the war is the only way to restore world peace and to relieve the nation from the terrible distress which with, with which it is burdened. And they announced their acceptance of unconditional surrender on August 14th. And um, you know, God, God is gracious. God will give us grace. But if we reject him enough times, I hate to hear what would happen. You know, I'm, I'm not here to scare you today. I understand that it's a very extreme example that I'm using there from, from the atomic bomb. But if you believe that God is all-powerful, he's a whole lot more powerful than that atomic bomb is. And um, if we surrender to his will, he has that much more power to help us in our daily walk with him. Let's pray.